family. I mean, I'm talking cousins back down. So, so good to see you all. When I saw your kids, I said, no. <laughs> Gary and Sean and um, your husband, they're getting older. Women, we just get wiser. So just so you know that. So y'all are getting older. We're getting wiser. <laughs> and all the women said, amen, amen. amen. Well, my assignment this morning is being found in Ezekiel 47, and I just want to thank my friends, the Harveys, if y'all could wave at everybody. It is so good to have family. <laughs> Look, they're like, I'm telling you, when God, the, the scripture says a brother is born for adversity, and they go, through, they go through storms with us, they do, anywhere we go, they're like, we're there. So I just want to thank God that they pray for us, they cover us. And she reprimands me a lot. <laughs> you need somebody in your face to say, you know what, you're not right. <laughs> Get right. You need a friend like that. Amen. So thank you, family. Um, I'm going to read from Ezekiel 47 this morning. And if you don't mind, if you're able, please stand in honor of God's word. Many lives were sacrificed so that we can hold this word in our hands. Amen. So we stand in honor of the Lord that he would allow us to have this book in our hands. Ezekiel 47 reads, I'm going to go from verse 1 to verse 12. Then he brought me back to the door of the house, and behold, water was flowing from under the threshold of the house toward the east, for the house faced east, and the water was flowing down from under, from the right side of the house, from south of the altar. And he brought me out by way of the north gate and led me around on the outside to the outer gate by way of the gate that faces east. And behold, water was trickling from the south side. When the man went on, or excuse me, out toward the east with a line in his hand, he measured a thousand cubits and he led me through the water, water reaching the ankles. Again, he measured a thousand and led me through the water, water reaching the knees. Again, he measured an a thousand and led me through the water, water reaching the loins. Again, he measured a thousand and it was a river that I could not ford. For the water had risen enough water to swim in, a river that could not be forded. And he said to me, Son of man, have you seen this? Then he brought me back to the bank of the river. Now when I had returned, behold, on the bank of the river, there were very many trees on one side and on the other. Then he said to me, These waters go out toward the eastern region and go down into Areba. Then they go toward the sea, being made to flow into the sea, and the waters of the sea become fresh. And it will come about that every living creature which swarms in every place where the river goes will live. And there will be very many fish, and for these waters go there, and the others become fresh, so that everything will live where the river goes. And it will come about that the fishermen will stand beside it, and Ignin and Iglinum, there will be a place for the spreading of nets. Their fish will be according to their kinds, like the fish of the great sea, very many. But its swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They will be left for salt. And by the river on its banks, on one side and on the other, will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither, and their fruit will not fail. They will bear every month because their water flows from the sanctuary and their fruit will be the food, and their leaves will be for healing or medicine. Father, we just thank you for this time that you've allowed us to come together to feast at the banquet table. Yes. Father, right now we submit our hearts to you, our minds, our will, our emotions. Father, our spirit is yours. 
Father, I pray that you would just yield unto us revelation and mysteries. Show us where this word applies to us individually and corporately. Father, we honor you this morning, and we thank you for the word that you have given me to serve this morning. I am your waitress, O oh God. Have your way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. The title of my sermon today, let me flip things around here, The Power and the Authority of Vision. And when I'm reading scripture, I always like to know who I'm talking about. Who is this person that God used to speak this vision? And what I just read in Ezekiel 47 is a vision that he gave the prophet Ezekiel. And Ezekiel was not just a normal prophet. God used a lot of natural things and natural circumstances in Ezekiel to bring forth spiritual concepts so people would understand. So most of Ezekiel's prophecies were delivered before the fall of Jerusalem. So everybody say, God will protect you before you fall. Amen. He always sends a word so that you're not caught in a snare. That's why the Bible says, he that have an ear, let him hear what the spirit of the Lord is saying. So a lot of times when God brings words, it's not a now word. It's a due time word, which means eventually it's going to come to pass. And that word is the standard that you hold on to. The Bible says when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Lord lifts a standard against him. Well, back in the day, a standard was something that was actually natural. They would make either a pole or something that was a mantelpiece. And that's where people knew to meet God. And so today, praise God, we don't have to meet at the pole. A good example was when God sent the serpents into the um, Israel, and they had the, the pole with the serpent on it. And he, God told them, anybody that looks to that will be saved. Although they were bit, they would be saved. Well, today, our, the standard is the word. And when things come in and want to overtake us, want to flood our circumstances, all we have to do is look to the standard. And God says, that's where you meet me, at the standard. The word is the standard. So we look at Ezekiel, and Ezekiel was kind of a character here. Out of all the prophets, Ezekiel was probably the most colorful. He used pantomime. He would cry and wail and slap his thighs, ate a scroll right in front of the people, and did many other unusual things to burn his message in the minds of people. Now, y'all can calm down. I'm only going to do half of that this morning. So... (laughs) When I leave, you'll invite me back. Amen? But what I want to do is talk about vision. What is vision? Vision is dream or foresight. Vision is a source of hope and life. The greatest gift ever given to mankind is not the gift of sight, but the gift of vision. Eyes that look are common, but eyes that see are rare. And we need vision today because how many know God is coming back? The second coming is upon us. And so the reason we need vision is because vision is hooked in the kingdom. Vision will give you access to the kingdom. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these other things will be added unto you. Well, how many know the, the kingdom is something that we cannot see? So what God will do is pull back the curtain a little bit and let us see foresight what is to come and then he'll close the curtain and now we have a vision now the only thing is when we have that vision we have to now come off the mountain like Moses did and kind of tell it to people who didn't see the curtain opened and how many of you have ever gone to a 3d movie well you know when you're trying to look cute these are the worst things that you can put on 
I don't know if you've ever been to the IMAX at, um, what is it, the airport? Glasses just ruin your outfit, okay? I'm thinking you could not come up with some better glasses. But I guess they don't want us to steal the glasses. But I borrowed these from my kids. These are 3D glasses. And of course, when you're looking at something, a screen that's 3D or a material that's 3D, when you look at it without the glasses, it's blurred. But then when you put these crazy glasses on, you can see exactly what it is, whatever it is that you want to see. Now, a lot of times when God gives a pastor or somebody vision, we can see because he's given us these 3D glasses. However, when we turn to the congregation and tell them what we've seen, a lot of times we look just like this. And a lot of times you were looking at your pastor just like you're looking at me now. You look crazy, okay? What did the Lord say? Isn't that what they said to Moses? Moses, you have lost your mind. Matter of fact, Korah said to him, we hear from God just like you do. That's fine, but did God pull back the curtain and give you foresight into what he's doing? Vision is important because it connects you to the kingdom. And so it's not a regular sight. It's something that God does three-dimensional. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the three in one, it's dimensional. So when God gives you a vision, you need to know that's part of heaven that God has given you a glimpse so that you can run on. And how many know, thank God he doesn't give us the whole program at once? Because we would run without him. You know we would. We would just go on. But God is connected, so we have to be relational. So he gives us bits and parts. Like they said in the word, you know in part and you prophesy in part. Why is that? Because God is a relational God. And he wants to co-labor in this situation with us. He just doesn't want us to get the... Um, things we need to do and run off. He wants to be intertwined with that vision. So today what I'm going to do, and I want you to hold on to your seatbelts because we're going to go through this fast and know there is no pause button. So this is being taped, right? Amen. Get the tape. Hallelujah. There are seven keys that God has given me to share with you this morning that comes from Ezekiel 47. Now the interesting thing about keys is, honey, can you hand me my keys? All of us, most of us have more than one key on our key ring. And as you can see, I have keys to my house, keys to the church. But what's interesting in one key only opens one door. And so I need to know, and I, I usually stand at the church confused because there's three different keys for the church, but they all look the same. Go figure that. But anyway, so I stand at the door, and common sense would tell me to go to Home Depot and get something, but wisdom, she's working with me. So as I stand and try to figure out what key opens what door, I realized there are two keys that look identical. And the key even goes in the slot, it just doesn't turn it. And I said, Lord, that's a picture of sometimes what we look like as Christians. We have the keys, but do we know what door it goes in? So we think, God, why isn't this door opening? Maybe it's because we have the wrong key. Now, keys are based on principles of scripture. Principles of scripture are laws or standards that God has set. For instance, gravity, it's a principle. Now, you don't have to believe in gravity. Matter of fact, you can't even see in gravity. But I dare you to take yourself off this building because we're all going to see gravity. Amen? So there are principles like that in the spirit realm that God has set. And although we may not see them, although we may not believe them, they still exist. And if we take the time to jump from whatever it is that we think or don't think is happening, we'll see the results of either obeying the principle are not obeying the principle. How many of you have ever been hitting your head spiritually in your life? Because we know better, we have a better way, 
only to find out God's principles reign true. The disobedient get beat. That's my interpretation, basically. So in Ezekiel 47, there are seven keys that I want to share with you today that if you grab hold of these, I believe it will unlock the places that God wants you to be. Amen? So the first key is vision comes from the Lord. Everything is under his government. Ezekiel 47.1 says the Lord brought him back. So it was the Lord that was giving Ezekiel this vision. And he took Ezekiel from one point to another. If you read before um, Ezekiel 47, you'll see all the visions that God was walking through with Ezekiel. And basically what God was doing was opening the curtain saying, Ezekiel, I'm going to let you see this because you have to go back and prophesy this to the nations. So the Lord is the one that vision comes from. Jeremiah talks about, I know the plans I have for you. This is the Lord speaking. I know the plans that I have for you, which means our pastor doesn't have them. Amen. Our husband doesn't have them. The spouse doesn't. God said, I have them. And so when we go to him and he imparts them to us, it's confirmation of the authority in our life so that when you go to a Pastor Bailey and say, I believe God is calling me, Pastor Bailey already has a cue in his spirit because it's of God. And so what God will do is give you a vision, and that's how he creates intimacy. He wants you to come to him to get the vision. So the water was flowing from under the threshold of the sanctuary. That's very important there. Everybody say, under authority. In order to be in authority, you have to learn how to be under authority. And that's why the water was flowing not from the top, not from the side, but it was flowing from under the threshold. That means God has set up authority and everything flows from the sanctuary. Nothing is above God. And so everything, that water, living water, was flowing under the threshold. And as that water was flowing from the south and the east and the west, it began to grow. So Jeremiah 30 says, true vision is not in human invention. And basically, it's all God's desires are imparted in us. When we become saved, God puts his desires in us. We begin to get changed and, you know, like David said, thou restorest my soul. Why did his soul have to be restored? Because it was wrong to begin with. It was fallen. So when God came in and restored his soul, that was his mind, his will, and his emotions. Amen? So when God comes in and restores us, we get a new relationship versus religion with him. And so now we step into a place where we can hear the vision, see the vision, grab onto it because we know it's relational. It's from God for us, and we run with it. One of the scriptures says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. That word delight there means pliable. You ever see clay that's not pliable? The Play-Doh kids leave out and it gets hard. You can't even mold it. God is saying there, if you're pliable in my hands, if you're clay that I can move, he's the potter, we're the clay, I will give you the desires of your heart. Now, many of us think, great, if I just do what God tells me to do, he's going to give me everything I want. Wrong. Flag on the play. It says God will give you. In other words, I'm going to give Pastor Bailey this paper. That represents my desires. Now God says, you know what? You're mine. I'm going to give you what I want you to do. That's what it means when he says, I will give you the desires of your heart. So the first key is that it all comes from God, period. So we need to be on our face on a daily basis, relationship. I'm so glad my husband wakes up and speaks to me every day. It's not once a week. It's not once a day. It's consistent. And that's what God desires from us, a relationship, a consistent relationship. 
Ecclesiastes 3.14 says, I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it. Nothing can be taken away. God does it so that men will revere him. And that is, I am God. Know that I am. Amen. Now, when, remember when he said to Moses, Moses said, well, God, who do I say sent me? He said, just tell him I am. I said, oh, you know that's bad. <laughs> just I am sent you. And that is the fullness of who God is, that he is the I am. Ephesians 2.10 says, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. Everybody say, beforehand. beforehand. That we should walk in him which means everything that you're supposed to do right now is already walked out, already written. And when you go to God to say, God, what, are you, what is your will for me today? He gives you the plans that already been prepared beforehand. How many of you know if I make dinner and then my husband comes home and thaws something out all over again, he's just undone, wasted time, and it's not what was prepared. And that's what God does. He prepares things beforehand and says, now you just warm it up because this is what I want done. Amen? <laughs> the second key is sight is the function of the eyes. Vision is a function of the heart. Ezekiel 47, 3 and 5 says, he measured the length of the water. And remember, the length of the water was first at the ankles, then it was at the knees, then it was at the loins, and then it became a river that they could not ford, could not wade. And everybody said, we need to line it up. Moses, or excuse me, God told Amos, Amos, I want you to go measure Israel. Now, Amos was kind of confused because looking at Israel on its own, he didn't think there was a problem with Israel. So God said, but before you go, Amos, I want you to take my plumb line. And so that's what Amos did. He went and took God's plumb line. And I love the devotional, and there's no shame in my game. When I do devotions with the kids, after they go, I keep their Bible. Because those little kids' devotionals, they break it down. And I like the way the kids' devotional said, Amos came back and said, God, Israel is crooked and disobedient. Now, why didn't Amos see that beforehand? Because he was looking with his own sight. But once you step into what God wants you to do in his plumb line, the vision of what the standard is in heaven, then Amos said, ah, God, most, or, um, the children of Israel are both crooked and disobedient. Everybody say, line it up. So what I did with my kids for the devotion, I had three strings. Actually, I had, I think, four or five, but I bought three with me today. And I told the kids, okay, I've measured these strings according to the ruler, 12 inches. I want you to toss out the ones that are not 12 inches. Well, of course, they had a field day because this is obvious. You know, so they were just having fun tossing these strings. But when they came to the strings that were almost the same size, they had a problem because their natural eye couldn't show them where it was. So then they're going back and forth. No, that one's 12 inches. No, that one is 12 inches. So then I gave them the ruler. I said, tell you what, why don't you just take the ruler and line this thing up? And they came to find out that this one is about a hair off. That is the trick of the enemy. He's not going to trick you with sin that's about this size because you could see that with your naked eye. What he'll do is he'll come and it'll just be a hair off. Everybody say, do not be ignorant of Satan's schemes nor his devices. How you're not ignorant is you line that bad boy up. Line it up with scripture. And that's when you see the hairline off and you can make the right decisions according to God's will. 
and not according to like Amos was doing with his natural eyesight, with his natural ability and his natural understanding. But he knew how to line it up. Now, it was interesting when, um, and we do this thing called pillow time with our kids, and it was Isaiah's turn to do pillow time, and they get to decide what they want to do. So I said to Isaiah, what would you like to do for pillow time? And Isaiah said, I want to do shadow puppets. I said, okay. So we got the night light, turned the lights off, put the night light in, and we're just making all kinds of different animals. And Isaiah decides that he's going to be, um, what is it, Godzilla and conquer the city. So we're laying on the bed, and I'm trying to make my little dinosaur, and he has his little dinosaur thing going on. And I looked at the wall, and because of where we, posi we were positioned, and Isaiah's eight, this time I think he was like six or seven, but his little hand looked so much bigger than mine. So Isaiah's chomping, and he's, I've left Isaiah. I've gone in the glory and the revelation. And I'm looking at his hand on this wall, and it is huge compared to my hand. And the Lord said to me, do you see the deception of the enemy? How did I cast that shadow? I took a little bit of light in a dark room, and it cast a huge shadow. Everybody say deception. deception. The, how this is how the enemy works. He takes a little bit of truth and a whole lot of darkness, and what it did is it casted a shadow on that wall that made it look like Isaiah's hands was much bigger than mine. So I don't know if Godzilla conquered the city because, like I said, I had left Isaiah, and I was in revelation with God, and I said, aha, a lot of us are running from what we think is a dinosaur and, and Satan's really a lizard. All we have to do is turn the light on. The light is God's word. Amen? So once you turn the light on and line that thing up, you get to see, oh, so he's puffing himself up again. So he's taken a little bit of light and a whole lot of darkness, cast a shadow, and now we're running from something that can't even harm us. Shadows can't harm you at all. And so that is what the enemy does. He'll cast things up, and that's why we can't afford to walk in sight. It has to be what God says. That's an inner vision. That's not my eye seeing. That's my heart seeing. Amen? God said, I'm a royal priesthood. I'm a chosen generation. Luke 10 says, I've given you all authority over the enemy. So when he steps up and he casts his shadow like he's a dinosaur, all I got to do is flip the light on and say, and Jesus said. Amen? So when he runs up on your marriages, when he runs up on your health, when he runs up on your finances, turn that light on. Line it up according to the word of God and tell him he has to go. Too many of us ask the enemy, what, do you feel like going? You know, could you please leave? I don't know about you, but when somebody comes on my property and they're not allowed there, they're trespassing, all I have to do is call the authorities. I don't have to stand there and argue with them. And I hold the title deed. So when the police arrive, guess what they're going to ask? Who lives here? Whose name is on the deed? And then if that person doesn't want to leave, the authority that has been invested in these men will help that person leave. Well, how many of you know we've been deputized? So when, G, when Satan rolls up on our property and he's trespassing, I don't need to ask him. I don't need to argue with him. All I need to say for it is written in Jesus' name. And he has to go. And if he decides like he's going to stay there, all I have to do is say, oh, Jesus, that's my 911, Jesus. And he must flee. And so what we have to do is be people that don't walk in sight because that will allow you to be deceived by the enemy. Don't fall for the shadow. 
The third key is we must understand that we are sons and not servants of God. Ezekiel 46 says, and he said to me, son of man. Everybody say a son. Now, when my kids are walking in the house, it drives me up the wall when they see paper and stuff on the floor. And they just walk over it like it wasn't there. And I always tell them, look, you live here. This is your house. Pick that up. And their response is always, I didn't put that there. I don't care. This is your house. You are a son and daughter in this house. This house belongs to you. It is your responsibility to keep order in it. Amen. It is our responsibilities as sons in the house to keep order. And when we are sons in the house, we have the heart for the house. Now, a servant, I worked for TRW for so many years, and I worked for a man that I didn't even know. I served him, didn't even know his last name, what his favorite color was, where he liked to go to lunch, knew nothing about this man. And I served him for a good three or four years. It is possible to serve God and not know anything about him, not have a relationship with him. But God isn't calling us to be servants in his house. He's calling us to be sons and daughters in his house, which means we have a heart. So when we see a piece of paper on the floor, we take it like, wait a minute, this is my house. This can't be. So faith is the substance of that. And it says in, a, excuse me, in John 15, 15, no longer do I call you servants or slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all things that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. Everybody say, I have made known to you. Everybody say, vision. Pulls the curtain back and he makes it known to you. Why? Because you're his friend. Servants have no clue because he didn't let them know. And that's why you can have people serving in the house and one person not care about the vision, and the other one cares. It's like they take ownership. It's, God, I'm here to serve you. Why? Because there's sons in the house. Servants have no clue what God is doing. So once you move the choir to the left, they want to know why you have to move them to the right. And once you move prayer meeting from the daytime to the nighttime, why you got to move that? Because, everybody say vision. Those who see behind the curtain know exactly why now we have to change because God said so. So what we're thriving to know is that vision isn't given to servants, it's given to sons. Amen. And the way you become a son is you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, get relational with God, and he begins to usher you into the things that he is doing. So then when your pastor comes to you with these 3D glasses on, you're not looking at him like he's lost his mind. But you know God has given him a vision for the house, amen? The third key is we must understand, or excuse me, the fourth key is vision sits on the foundation of faith. Vision makes the unseen visible and the unknown possible. I'm gonna say that again. Vision sits on the foundation of faith. Vision makes the unseen visible and the unknown possible. Ezekiel 47, 8, and 10 is where I'm going to take this from. And it says, Then he said to me, These waters go out toward the eastern region and go down into Arabah, and they go toward the sea, being made to flow into the sea, and the waters in the sea become fresh. Hmm, become fresh. That what was stale before now comes fresh. Faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. 
So if hope is the substance of faith, then we have to figure out where does this hope come from? Where does it generate that we can hold on to that substance that will increase what I don't see to come to uh, vi visible, to be seen, to be able to touch it? And that hope is the word, God, the word of God. He will send a word. And how many of you know, even when God breaks a piece off of his revelation, it's humongous. It's huge to us. He gives it to us, and we're like, Lord, it's too big. It's a small piece, but it's big to us. Well, I want to go to Numbers 13. And for time's sake, we won't turn there, but I want you to write down the scriptures because you never take what somebody says for granted. You go check it out yourself. Ask God to confirm this word in your spirit. But this text comes from Numbers 13, verses 30 and 31. I'm sorry, is it 2? I'm going to go there. I'm going to turn there because I wrote down the wrong reference, and I want you to have the right one. 13. Okay, we're going to, oh, excuse me. It's verse 2, and then it's verse 30 and 31. And this is basically when God told Moses, look, I'm going to give you this land. And this is what he told him. Go spy out the land of Canaan, which I am going to give to the sons of Israel. You shall send man from each of their father's tribes, every one leader among them. Now, God said, I am going to give you this land. But somewhere in the midst of it, only two caught what God was saying. I am going to give you this land. Go, go check it out. Now, I don't know about you, but if my husband said, you know what, Danielle, I'm getting ready to buy you a brand new Lincoln Navigator and I want you to go check it out. I don't even think he would get out fully out of his mouth, and I would be in my car right down to the Lincoln Navigator. <laughs> but for some reason, I don't know what happened. Why? Because I've been married to this man for 20 years, and I know when he says something, he means it. Now, here Israel has been walking with God, delivered them not just out of Egypt, delivered them with a high hand. I mean, destroyed their enemies and said, oh, by the way, see all those spoils over there? Go ahead and grab that, Israel, because that's all yours. Now, I want you to leave this land. And matter of fact, I'm just going to part this Red Sea, let you walk on dry land. And then when you're hungry, I'm just going to drop man out the sky. Now, this is all of the accounts that God walked through with Israel. And all of a sudden, they get to this land, and all of a sudden, God's word isn't strong enough. It's not enough. So only two ears heard, I am going to give you this land. So, of course, they go marching up to this land, and they see all of the, the milk and the honey and the fruit. Matter of fact, the grapes were so huge, it took a couple men to bring. I don't know what kind of grapes they were, but it took a couple men to carry these things back. So not only did Israel have a natural report, they had something to look at. The grapes that they bought back were grapes like they've never seen before. And you know what they did? They should have got up and said, hallelujah, packed the bags, we on the go. This is not what they did. We know the account of what these men did. And basically they said, we're not able to do this. There's no way. There's giants in the land. God, did you know somebody lives in that land? And by the way, we're, they're huge. To, to them, we look like grasshoppers. Well, I want to know, when did they have a conversation between the time they left Canaan and the time they got back to Moses to even know what those Nephilims were thinking? Because I don't know, the accounts in the Bible I've seen is God's confused the enemy. Had like four people walk up on the hill, and because the sound of their feet sounded like an army, the other army said, you know what, let's just kill ourselves and get this over with, okay? That's the kind of God we serve, okay? So now they're talking to Moses saying, no, nah, there ain't no way. And there's Caleb and Joshua. 
Caleb said, all right, flag on the play, y'all. We are more than able to take this land. Now, if I was Caleb and, you know, female, we would took off our earrings like, you know what? We're going to Canaan because not only have I seen the grapes, I've seen the land, and we are more than able. God said that he was going to give us this land. Amen? But we do the same thing today. God says, you know what? I'm going to give this to you. But because you don't have the degree or because you don't have the finances or whatever the reason, you fill in the blank. What do we do? We let fear take over. That is the dangers of touching that tree of the good of good and evil, the knowledge of good and evil. Because when you think about it, and God has really turned my ears up to this lately, most people will make a decision based out of the fear and not the faith. Okay, so yeah, that could happen, but didn't God say? So even in Genesis, remember when the enemy walked up to Eve and said, did God say? That is a question that's still resounding all the way to this generation. He might not come out and say it out of his mouth to us, but then the doubt, everybody say doubt. That is, did God say? And what we have to do is be like Caleb and Joshua that say, wait, we are more than able. Now, of course, the other spies, who were leaders, by the way, these just weren't laymen that came in and out of church when they felt like it. These were the leaders of the tribes. That's why we have to wear the coat of humility, because we can fall to that fear and be around our pastors and be like, no, we can't do that. The devil is a liar. What I want to know is, did God say we could do it or not? If he said it, then we're going. And I don't know whether he's going to have us clang pots together. I don't know whether we're going to go marching up a hill and they hear the echo. I don't know. The devil is a liar. God will provide. And that's the faith that Abraham had going up that mountain. Then Isaac asked him, Daddy, where's the sacrifice? We got the wood. We got the match. Hold up. There's no sacrifice. And Abraham had no clue what God was going to do. But you know what his response was? God will provide. We don't need an answer because God has it. So all we have to do is respond, God will provide. So in the midst of this, poor Joshua and Caleb had to go with them crazy folk in the wilderness for 40 years. And it says, Caleb was so angry, he rent his clothes. And he was like, I cannot believe God has brought us this far, and you're not going to believe him. So they had to wonder, men of faith, men who believed God and were ready to go do this thing, because the rest of the tribe wouldn't go, guess what they had to do? Wander for 40 years with the rest of them. Now, does that sound fair? Absolutely not. That's why God hooked them and their generations up later on. They wanted for nothing. (laughs) Matter of fact, they thought it, and it was right before them. God said, oh, I am going to honor not just you, but your generations, because what? You believed me. So I don't want you to get disheartened if you've heard God and you're two out of the rest of them crazy folk. Know that if you just believe God, if you continue to go, and notice they didn't get their gear and say, you know what? I'm out of here. I'm going to leave this church because they're crazy. What did they do? They got their gear with everybody else, and they wandered for 40 years. Why? Because it was the will of God. God wanted them in that camp. And so that's why he blessed them, one, for their belief, two, for staying, and three, generations were blessed because of them. So know that just because you're walking with people that don't believe doesn't mean you won't inherit the promise. Amen? So in the midst of it, they were in a foundation of faith where others weren't. And what we have to do is we have to be men and women and say, you know what, God, if you said it, then I'm going to do it. 
And the difference is those who see vision and those who just see. And that's what we need to pray for our churches today because God is coming back. So we need vision that filters into the second coming. Not just, I have a new car, we built a church, our family is set. No, mm -mm. it is about kingdom principles. It is about building the kingdom. And so what we do is we build meticulously just like Nehemiah did. He built with one hand, ward with the other. How many of you know that's tired? That's like walking around all day and we were cracking up because you know that game where you pat your head and you're supposed to rub your stomach? You do that for a while and you just get irritated. <laughs> Could you imagine them having to build with one hand and war with the other? That's what Nehemiah had to do and they didn't come off that wall. There were people trying to get them off that wall, but they knew to stay and to build because they were kingdom-minded. The fifth key is their will. Everybody say their will. Be opposition and obstacles to your vision, especially when they see the anointing that's on you. Now, I asked my daughter, who is always saying, Mom, leave me alone. But I asked her to help me, and Peggy, if you would put this on. And Cole, if you would put this on for me. <laughs> As your brother laughs at you. And if you two would just stand up here for me. Now, many of you, I'm not a sports fan, but when Michael Jordan was playing, and y'all can just move over a little bit. When Michael Jordan was playing, I would love to watch him play because I could not believe that a human had the skill level of this man. And one thing Michael never did is he never cried when somebody tried to get the ball. Could you imagine paying good money to go see Michael Jordan play only for him to start crying and whining on the court because somebody's trying to take the ball? Well, I got news for you. We have opposition, and a lot of times that's what we look like in the spirit realm. The enemy has tried to come get the ball, so instead of using the skill set that God has given us, we just lay out all on the floor and act crazy because Satan's trying to take the ball. Now, I don't know about you, but that's one game I would demand my money back. So none of us go to a game expecting any athlete to sit there and cry and whine, you know, because they've taken the ball. Right, Ken? <laughs> They're trained for opposition. God has trained us for opposition. Ephesians 6, why do we need armor? Hello. God is trying to tell us something because there is going to be opposition. And I'm here to tell you that opposition usually comes from inside the camp. We expect it in the world because they're not saved, right? So we expect opposition, but it catches us off guard when it's in our own foxhole. Now, Joseph is a good example of this. Joseph had a dream, had a vision that God gave him. Not only did he share it with his brothers, he shared it with his fathers, and everybody thought he had lost his last bit of mind. Now, Joseph was favorite of his father, so in the back in the day, they had these cloaks that this father would give the son. Now, this is, I couldn't find just a regular cloak, but this is doing it justice, because what the fathers would give the sons are just white garments. They look like linen. Imagine fixing a sheet into a coat. That's what the father would give the son. But then Joseph comes along, and his father gives him a coat of many colors. Now, imagine you're standing here with all your brothers with your white sheet on, and Joseph comes up in this nice coat now. All of these colors, today we know, you know, we can afford that. But back in that day, for them to have colors in anything was an expensive garment. 
So not only did he have one or two, he had many. He had a coat of colors. That coat of colors we now see represents the anointing that was on Jesus Christ. It was a foreshadowing that God gave him the anointing to reach nations. The only problem is his brothers couldn't see that. All they saw is my daddy gave me this nasty, jacked up white linen sheet. And Joseph over here, Mr. Dreamer, has this nice, expensive, colored coat. So much so that they decided, we're going to kill the brother. We're just going to do away with him. And we know the story goes on where he went from the pit to the prison because of his not unsaved folk. Everybody say his brothers. Even his fathers looked at him and said, uh, excuse me, you mean to tell me we're going to bow down to you? His father thought he was crazy. So his anointing is what got him in trouble. Now, I don't know about you, but I thank God for the anointing. But sometimes the anointing don't feel like a gift. Why? Because people see the anointing on you and want to kill you. Not knowing that that anointing is here not just to help nations, but to save you. Because we know the end of the story is Joseph ended up what? delivering his brothers. All of the vision in which God gave Joseph came to pass. And so what we need to do is know that when there's opposition in the house, it's not, and I used to think, God, did I do something? Did we say something? Maybe I shouldn't have turned left. Maybe I should have went right. Maybe I should have said in Jesus' names, just said amen. You try to figure out why in the world is this opposition happening in my foxhole. It's because people see the anointing on you and they don't understand it. All they know is they got this white old linen coat, and you have a coat of many colors. Thank you. Now, that coat of many colors, that anointing is to reach nations. And as we see in Joseph's life, that coat cost him something. I like the way Bishop Jake says, the anointing is expensive. So we don't want the pit or the prison, but we, do, we want the palace. But are we willing to do what it takes to get to the palace? Because by the time he went from the pit to the prison, he knew what to do in the palace. It wasn't, I am Joseph, hear me roar. He was a humble man and was there to deliver a nation. Amen? So you need to know that the, there's going to be obstacles in your vision. Secondly, God gives you an intimate vision, and that intimate vision connects with a corporate vision. And what God will do is give the pastor wisdom. It's like puzzle pieces. And when you come in the door, God will say, okay, he goes here and she goes here. Now, I like to sing. Gary would tell you, I can't hold a note to save my life. I heard that. <laughs> but I like to sing. And I've always wanted to be in a choir. So in our last church, they had a little choir. And I said, I'm going to get in the choir. I'm going to go ahead and sing. Well, the poor people standing around me was just horrible because I kept throwing them off. So I figured if I just hum and look good... <laughs> Nobody <laughs> so I'm just sitting in the choir trying to, you know, trying to do this thing. And then the choir director comes to me and says, you know what? And I've always wanted to be one of those choir directors, get up to, you know. So he said, why don't you, you know, I'm thinking he's helping me out. He's trying to pull me out of the choir because I'm jacking things up thoroughly. He said, why don't you lead the choir? So that's what I did. <laughs> so, of course, I had to stand all the way back here, <laughs> which helped the choir tremendously. But I was having my little field day just directing that choir. Couldn't hold a note, couldn't sing, but I was directing that choir. And then finally, through my husband, the Lord said, look, you know what? This is not your gift. Give up the ghost. <laughs> I did not make you to sing. I mean, that's just not your gift. 
So what I was trying to do is I was trying to fit my puzzle piece in a place in the picture where it did not work. Now, have you ever put a piece of a puzzle together and the piece looks like it goes there, but you fit it in and it's just like an inch or so off? And I, I'm telling you, a couple times I decided I'm going to just take the scissors and make it work. Isn't that what we look like in the spirit realm? We just going to cut it and make it work. But how many know there's a piece that's ordained to go there? And that piece can't go there until you move out the way. And so God has a corporate vision. We are just the puzzle piece. So when I get self-centered, I decide I'm going to stay in the choir. Look, I like to sing, and I'm just going to stay in the choir. But what I didn't look at is how it was affecting everybody else. The poor singers next to me who were, like, thrown off all the time every time I opened my mouth. And the choir director whose heart was to see me serve but knew this was not the place for me. The best thing they told me is, you know what, this is not your gift, <laughs> but we're going to help you find your gift. Amen. And when we do that and have a corporate vision, we can see God's picture come to pass, and it's beautiful. But when you start sticking pieces in there where they don't belong, everybody say mass confusion. So we want to be people that know where our gifts lie. We have a corporate vision, and our intimate vision fits in that corporate vision but you have to be placed properly. There's power in proper placement. So a lot of times we're in places and we can't figure out why we're not anointed and there's no power. Perhaps it's because you're in the wrong position. Proper placement will bring about power for the vision. Amen? Vision makes suffering and disappointment bearable, i.e., God set the hope before him, the joy of the cross, that he can endure it. So there are things in our life that are going to come about, but because of the vision, we don't give up. We keep going. We bear and we endure because we know there's something at the end that we need to get to. And so vision will help you go through those disappointments, go through those unbearable times. Vision generates hope in the midst of despair and provides endurance in tribulation. You ever see a runner who I used to run track and I hated it? But I was good at it because my, I was a dancer and a cheerleader all my life. And my parents didn't believe in latchkey kids. So they put us in every sport you could think of so we wouldn't be home after school. And so this particular season track came up. And my mom was like the Wimmo Rudolph of her, her high school days. And so everybody had this thing over me already. She's just going to be just like her mother. And I hated to run. Matter of fact, there were bleachers around the field. And I would wait because the coach would watch us. And as soon as I get to them bleachers, I'd walk. <laughs> and then I'd get to the end of the bleachers and start running again. Of course, the coach saw us, but, you know, you, in kids' minds, you're thinking, he can't see this. Don't, don't we do that to God? Thinking, okay, we'll just walk behind the bleachers. But God has a purpose and a plan in that. So in the midst of, because I was a dancer, I was good at track. And so he decided to put me in the relay races, and I was anchor. I was like, Lord, have mercy. Didn't like to run. But here we are. And what God did was showed me that there are other things he will have you do in life that promote something else. And because I was diligent in dancing, my legs were strong to endure and track. So what I had to do was learn how to pace myself. And because I couldn't do that, the track, the track coach said, you know, you're not a long-distance runner. We're going to use you in sprinting. And I was good in sprinting. But the wise runner knows how to pace themselves in life. Because it's not just about running the race, it's about finishing it, the endurance of the race. And that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to pace ourselves in life 
so that we can endure to the end. So it's not just about starting the race. Everybody say it's about finishing it. It's all about how you finish. The sixth key is the vision is for an appointed time. Ezekiel 47, 12. I'm going to turn back there. And before I go on to Ezekiel 47, 12, Ezekiel 47, 11, um, which was the fifth key, it talked about how there was a part of the marsh that did not change to fresh water. It stayed swampy and marshy, and it did not become fresh. It was left for salt. There are going to be areas in your life where the presence of evil is still going to be there. But know that the power of evil has been broken off of you. So it's not one thing to be delivered and think, you know, God has to remove something so that you can be delivered. Deliverance is you can stand in what used to have you, and now you have power over it. That is true deliverance. And so God will leave a little bit of salt in there on purpose. And a lot of times we're running from this salt thinking, no, everything has to be fresh. God said, no, 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 you're delivered. Stand fast and declare the salvation of God. The enemy will always show up, and he always shows up with fear. Amen? That's most of the weapons he uses is fear. But the Lord asked me one time, um, daughter, what did Satan used to do before he fell out of heaven? And I said, well, he was Lucifer, and he led worship. And the Lord said to me, he was never fired. And I thought, never fired? God said to me, when the enemy shows up in your life, it's time to worship. It's not time to worry. It's time to worship. And he said, not only do I still use him, I tell him what you to worship about. So if he's bothering you about your finances, that's the place you meet God in worship. If he's bothering you about your health, that's where you meet God in times of worship. So when the enemy shows up, it's not time to worry. It's worship time. And I'm telling you, you see how long the enemy sticks around when you start worshiping. Because God says, I inhabit the praises of my people. Translations, when I show up, <laughs> everything bows. And so worry doesn't fix anything. It just allows the enemy to get a lounge chair and chill. Worship says, bye-bye. Got to go. And I said, it's deep because when my kids do things and then they get all pouty and they, you know, do their little gyrations, they still have to do what I said. So now, not only are they still doing what I said in the beginning, they're on punishment. <laughs> and they still have to do. And that's how an enemy is. He still has to lead worship. And so just because he was kicked out of heaven doesn't have, mean he has free reign. Did he not have to go to God and ask, can I touch Job? So he is still under God's deployment. He just can't roll up and do anything he wants. The sixth key is the vision is for an appointed time. In Ezekiel 47, 12, the first part, it says, And the river on its banks on one side and on the other will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither and their fruit will not fail. Everybody say, my fruit won't fail. Isn't it good when you're at work and you can touch things and they prosper? Touch your marriage, prosper. Touch your kids, they prosper. That is what it looks like when we are planted by the tree. Psalms 1 tells us that. Planted by the, the tree, planted by the rivers of living water. Your fruit will not wither. And so what we have to do is we have to start planting ourselves in this word. It's not an option to say, well, I'll read this day and not the next. No. Every day we need to be planted right in God's word. And that word gets in us and it's living. And then it brings forth fruit. And people can see the fruit. It's evident. 
And what God wants us to do is not be afraid. I saw a marquee on a church that said, go out on a limb. That's where the fruit is. And so what God wants us to do is to trust him, be that tree planted by the rivers of the water, and he'll start sending us into places where other people back off. Why? Because we are equipped. We've been rooted and grounded in his word. And so now we, one of our pastors calls us spiritual firefighters. We run in where other people are running out. Why? Because we've been sitting at the rivers of living water. But Habakkuk 2.3 says, For the vision is yet for an appointed time. Though it hastens toward the goal, it will not fail. Everybody say the word of God. He said, it will not fail. Does that sound familiar? I will give you the land. So this is a commandment from God telling you, it will not fail. Though it tarries, wait for it. For it will certainly come. It will not delay. Now, if it's tarrying and it's not delaying, that kind of gives me a mental tilt. Wait, wait, wait a minute. It's not going to, it's going to tarry, but it will not delay. Everybody got, everybody say God is a God of foreknowledge. There are times and places in my life where I thought, surely God, I should be here by now. I didn't think I was going into full-time ministry. Matter of fact, I wanted to be a prosecuting attorney, and my husband's a detective, and I thought, you know, when we retire, we'll be that investigative team, you know, he'll go out and get them, and I'll go and I'll lock them up for life. (laughs) God had another plan. He said, oh, yeah, yeah, you're going to be locking people up all right, but it's not going to be in the natural realm. I'm sending you to judge in the spirit realm. And, of course, my husband will tell you, I fought and I fought and I fought and I fought. And then I finally surrendered and said, okay, God, okay, okay. Because how many know you can't fight with God and think you're going to win? So I finally surrendered, and all this time God was on me to give up. And then I finally gave up, and nothing happened. And I was like, excuse me, God. I said, yes. You remember, I threw both hands up. Okay, let's get this going. Where are you? Let's go. And God said, okay, you know, we're going to do this thing. How many know David was anointed king, but wasn't walking in that till about 10 to 12 years later? What was going on? Everybody say character. God has to clean us up. That's the process before the palace. God can't put you in the palace if you haven't been processed. Because when you get in the palace, you'll lose your mind, and then God will have to take you back like he did Nebuchadnezzar, and we'll see you grazing in the field with your nails long. So what God wants to do, the love of God, will have you go through the process. It's all about the character. And I can't speak it if I am not living it. So God will process you first. And now he's making sure that the call you don't have, you have the call and the call doesn't have you. I've seen many a ministry destroyed because people had the lack of balance to think they needed to do this thing. No, God is going to do this thing, which means God, family is important to God and work is important to God and taking care of your home is important to God. Now, if you can't go mow your own lawn, how are you going to teach people in the congregation to mow the lawn? If you can't balance life, then how are you going to go preach to somebody else about balance in life? So what God will let you do is go master that thing first. And then he'll let you stand up here and then declare. Because it's not about the declaration, it's about the demonstration. And that is where the church has lacked power. We declare very well. But we kind of fall short on the demonstration part. And that's where God is working in us, amen? That our declaration will equal our demonstration. 
that we'll be able to show the world more than we can tell the word. I believe the word says it like this, that we would be the living epistles read of men. So that's what God wants us to be. Know that that vision is there and it's going to tarry, but because God is a God of foreknowledge, he already knows all the delays that were coming anyway, so they were already in the equation. So when you get to where you're supposed to be, it's the appointed time. That's, that's the way God works. And so what we want to do is know when you're waiting for the vision, there is weight. How many of you ever went weightlifting? We went one time. I should say I went one time. We went with my husband. And we were in the police academy. And they have a gym there. And, you know, I was ready. I had my gear on. So I wanted him to put some weight on the barbell. And he goes, no, baby, I just want you to lift the bar. And I looked at him like, brother, I've come to lift weights. Now, I've never lifted weights in my life, but I've come to lift weights. So you're going to put some weight on this bar because we ain't going to waste time up in here. So my husband said, honey, I just want you to lift the bar first. Then we'll try to do the weights. Now, how many of you know when pride is on you, if you don't humble yourself, God will humble you. And I'm here to tell you, please humble yourself because you don't want God to humble you. Because me and my sassy self just knew what I was doing. So I said, fine. So I got on the bench and I lifted the bar. The problem is I couldn't get it back up. Now there was other officers in this gym lifting weights also. So now I got to figure out what I'm going to do because Sean is standing there knowing exactly what's going on. I'm thinking, Jesus, I'm going to have to ask him to help me lift this bar up. Now I done went on about these weights. And so I was like, Sean, and he knew. He just lifted it up. How many say the Holy Spirit knows? He'll come lift it up for you and bring it on back. <laughs> and here I am now humbled amongst all these police officers because Miss Thang just knew she could lift this bar. Well, that's when I knew where the coat of humility and waiting on God has weight to it. And God will have you do reps over and over and over and over. Why? Because he knows the weight of what he's getting ready to give you. And it's not meant to crush you. And so the love of God will have you do those reps until you can bench press a certain weight. And he says, oh, now you can handle that job. Now you can handle that promotion. Now you can handle this or that. So what God will do is put you in the spiritual weight room while you're waiting on him, and he'll have you lift weights so that what's your the vision that's coming will not crush you, amen, but it will build you up. You'll be able to lift it. And the seventh and final key is the vision is not selfish. Ezekiel 47, 12, the end of it says, they will bear every month because their water flows from the sanctuary and their fruit will, excuse me, and their fruit will be for food and their leaves for healing. Or I like the King James says medicine. So why would we need food, food and medicine? It's to feed the nations. When we're kingdom minded, we have nations on our heart. It's not just about our individual house. It's not just about this church or that church. But God has made us kingdom-minded, which means we're concerned about feeding the nations. What it is is um, God has created us to be God-centered. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's God-centered. And then all these other things, what? Will be added unto you. Self-centeredness, I'm going to go seek all this stuff over here. And God, if I get a minute, I'll seek the kingdom. And so we look like, you ever see a dog chasing his tail? That's what we look like in the spirit realm because why we've decided to seek the wrong thing. We've decided to be self-centered versus God-centered. 
And God said, just seek me. Seek my way of doing things, and I will add these things to you. John 6, 27 says, do not labor for work or for food which perishes, but the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man shall give to you. For on him the Father, even God, has set his seal. And so what we want to do is notice in Ezekiel it said the river flowed. It didn't say the reservoir. And I work not only as a minister in the church, but I work in the church office as one of the administrators. And you would be surprised how many people call to get their light bill paid, to get their rent paid, to, you know, my uncle boo-boo died and we need to bury him somewhere. And our question to them is, are you a member? Well, some get offended. What, you got to be a member to be able to bury somebody in the light bill or this bill? No, it's just that God calls us to be accountable. We are not a reservoir where you can tap into it when you feel like it. Uncle Boo Boo needs to be buried. I need my light bill. We're not a reservoir. It says we're a river. And in order to get the blessings of the river, you have to go where the current goes. And so if the current is going this way and you over here sinning, and then you want the river, what, to shift and come your way? The devil is a liar. That's not how it works. So it's a paradigm shift for the world to say we're not a reservoir. We are a river. Rivered is being God-centered. Reservoir is being self-centered. I'm going to just gather all this stuff up for me, Lord, and maybe I'll give it to somebody. Maybe I'll share it. No. The scripture in Ezekiel 47 says we are a river. And what it happens is it was a river that, again, started from the ankle to a river you could not wait. Everybody say maturity. That's where God has taken us. It starts off at the ankles, and it gets to a place where you cannot wait. Everybody say deep calls to deep. God is calling us in the deeper waters. The question is, are we going to go? We'll go if we have vision. Amen. So let me just recap these points for you, these keys that you can put on your spiritual key chain, and I'm believing that it's going to unlock some things in your life. The first key, vision comes from the Lord. Everything is under his authority. Key number two, sight is a function of the eyes. Vision is a function of the heart. Ephesians 1 says, enlighten our hearts. Ephesians 1.18. Third key is we must understand that we are sons and not servants of God. God lets his sons in on what he's doing. Fourth key, vision sets on the foundation of faith. You cannot have vision if you do not have faith. Fifth key is there will be opposition and obstacles to your vision. Know the anointing and favor is on you, and God will bring you over those obstacles. He will take you through those obstacles. Sixth key, the vision is for an appointed time. Don't birth it before it's time. You could birth the right thing at the wrong time. Don't let it be on life support. Let it go to its full maturity. And although it tarries, it delays, it comes right at the appointed time because God has mixed all of that up in the equation of time. And the seventh key, the vision is not selfish. It is a God-centered vision, knowing that God is coming back. Are we ready? And are we going to be ready to meet him? Father, I bless your name for this time. We thank you for these keys in life, Lord God, that unlock, give us access to divine provision. Father, I just thank you for every hearer in here, and I pray that you would guard this word in their hearts, that the enemy will not be able to steal it, Lord, but it will grow deep and bring forth much fruit in their life personally and in their life corporately. Father, if there's someone in here that doesn't know you, I pray that they would step into the ultimate key, and that is Jesus who unlocks the door to eternity. 
Father, we love you. We bless your name. We thank you for this word you've allowed us to eat this morning. Be glorified as it resonates in our soul, as it lives in our spirit, and as it's declared and demonstrated in our flesh. We give you glory, Father, and we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.